Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. Your favorite church unity podcast. Probably. If you want to hear from pastors, professors, and everything in between. Right, sure. And, you know, the occasional train talk. Right, right, yeah. Uh, have we got the podcast for you. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast. Again, I am your co-host, Joshua Moore. Uh, I like long walks on the beach in Virgin Pina Coladas. Uh, here today with your other co-host, Tiberius Juan, who enjoys long walks to the other side of the ping pong table where he plays with himself. He's too good to play against anyone else, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we got a very exciting episode for you guys today. We're going to be talking about uh, some of the Black Lives Matter movement that's going on, as well as um, other issues of systematic racism. We have a lot of a few guests, uh, mainly we're going to be talking to Sister Sylvia, and then later in the podcast we're going to open up a panel with a few of our other guests which we'll introduce at that time whenever we start that. Um, but before we do, TJ wants to tell you guys ways that you guys can uh, support us, right? Right. Um, obviously, it'd, it'd be best if you could donate all of your money to us. That would be incredible. All of it. But until someone decides to do that, uh, you can support us by following us on our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, take the Twitter from us. Our current, you know, Twitter guy is really bad at it. Actually, awful, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, and, and just to clarify, you guys can still support us after someone donates all of their money to us. Yeah. You can yeah. still feel free to follow the podcast. We, we won't stop. Because that actually is pretty much nothing to do with why we do this podcast. <laughs> uh, and, sure we just make a net negative gain per week on this. Right. And uh, it would help a lot if every time we release an episode, you share it on your social medias. Uh, that helps so much. And of course, if someone wants to be part of the team, we still need help with our regular media, you know, editing audio, getting pictures out for things, etc., etc. Um, I, I think that's all. Is that all the needs, CJ? Uh, I think that's it. Awesome. So uh, I'm actually really excited to kind of jump into what we're going to be talking about. Um, it won't be my cat's litter box that you might be hearing pretty up right now. But we have some yeah important subjects that we mentioned we're going to be able to talk about here in a minute. Uh, we're waiting on Sister Sylvie to join, but while we do, CJ, I have a silly question for you. Sure. You know. We, we do this once a week. Uh, this, this one's not even that silly or hard or anything. Just be quick. Um, if you had four penguins, what would you name them? Michelangelo, Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo. Did you say Michelangelo twice? Yep. <laughs> Alright, so you just wouldn't use Leonardo at all? No. He's my favorite. Yeah, I don't want anyone to feel better than the others, you know? Except for Michael Angelo. Sure. Because <laughs> there's two of them. He must be your favorite. Um, okay, so I was originally going to use Gunther for one of mine from uh, Adventure Time. Sure. Um, originally, I asked this question to my wife just randomly, and Tiffany used Gunther and said, I'm not allowed to now, so I'm not allowed to. So that's fun. Um, so my four opinions will be Jives, um, Grumpy, like the dwarf, uh, Bartholomew, the Dark Lord of All, from Doctor Who, and then, um, Bob, 
from like just popping in me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're joined by Sister Sylvia. Sister Sylvia, it's awesome to have you, as always. Um, I don't know if our listeners know this, but we have Sister Sylvia on every 24 episodes. She was on episode 24, and now we're on episode 48. She'll oh, be back my. for episode 72. Okay. And hopefully before then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. I, uh, I am honored to be asked. The honor is all ours. Um, this is definitely a topic that we shouldn't have talked about without you guys' help. So, mm-hmm. very excited that uh, you're here with us. Um, but yeah, so part of our intro, we always start with a silly question, which uh, you may remember, you may not. Yeah, I do. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Today is, I asked TJ what he would name four penguins should he have four penguins. Uh, penguins. His answer, yeah. Okay. He answered with uh, Michelangelo, Donatello, Raphael, and Michelangelo again. Okay, twins. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's the Ninja Turtle name, but without okay. the leader, because he doesn't want leaders. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I answered with, uh, let's see, what, what were mine again? I had um, Jives, Grumpy, like the dwarf, mm-hmm. um, Bartholomew, the Dark Lord from Doctor Who, okay. and then Bob. You know, Bob's a good man. Solid. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, if you had four penguins, Sister Sylvia, what would you name your four penguins? I would name them Zeblin, Antley, Abram, and Abraham. Nice. And that's, uh, <laughs> that sounds a little familiar. <laughs> yeah, very familiar. You know, as you get older, you don't want to have to remember anything else. So, you keep life simple. Uh that's why I gave two of my penguins the same name. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. My uh, grandpa had a chihuahua once that he named Jack. Oh, and, my. Uh, ever since then, if I bring a friend or someone brings someone over, he can't pronounce their name. He just tells them he's going to call them Jack. Okay. But we all find hilarious because, you know, <laughs> usually they don't know that he had a dog once named Jack. Gotcha. Gotcha. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, before we do our panel coming up, though. We had a, a couple questions we wanted to just talk to you about. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about the Black Lives Movement and we're talking about mm-hmm. um, sy- systemic racism in America today, right? Because right yeah. now, that's it's a hot topic. A lot's going on. We want to know what we can do and what the church can do. That's kind of the mission of this episode, right? Mm-hmm. But first, we wanted to ask uh, the climate's changed recently, right? Uh, about this topic. All of a sudden, this topic's getting a lot more attention than it was. Yes. You know, I remember um, when the Black Panther movie came out, it was, uh, you know, there was a lot of people who were really happy to have the first Black superhero, and that's, I think that's really the last time I heard anything about racism and that sort of topic at all mm-hmm. until the last few months. And now it's blown up. Um, what's, what's changed? Well, one, I've heard um, Black Lives Matter a whole lot more than that. It is, I want to say, the undercurrent of our lives. Um, it, It may not have been as front and foremost as it is right now, but in a black person's life, it is always there. It never, ever goes away. 
that is the story of our life. And um, what has changed so much now is I want to think the inhumane ways the last two black men have died. And I think the African-Americans have said to themselves, this is enough. This is enough. And um, I know we have the um, Vietnam Wall Monument with everybody's names on it. We could possibly have a wall with names on it. All right. Uh, so you suggested that we put together a panel to talk about yes. what can be done about these. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to start that soon. Okay. Uh, but uh, can I ask what made you think a panel was the best way to approach this for us? Because I think we need to hear different people's perspective, different people's um, take on the whole situation. Just hearing one person, myself, um, I don't think should suffice. You even asked what can the church do or what can America do? And I think one of the main things we can do is come to the table. Let's have a conversation. Let's don't criticize, throw hate, throw mud. These are uncomfortable topics. Um, But we need to come to the table. As difficult as it is, we need to come to the table and we need to have a conversation. That has been the missing link, I think, in everything. Uh-huh. And it can be um, it can be very uncomfortable to talk about. Very, um, it's very uncomfortable. An uncomfortable podcast, but yeah. you know that yeah. uh, we we have to have it. That's um, you know, we say in in our theme, but our goal is to see the whole church whole again, right? That's yes. kind of our mission statement. The whole church can't be whole until every part is whole, right? That's true. And that's um, that, that's why we're we're doing this today. I, I think it's very important to talk about. Um, and you know. The whole church can't be whole until the church recognizes that it's not whole. Doctor Phil right. says you can't you can't fix what you don't admit. Mm-hmm. And I think this is why we have this ongoing canker sore that keeps opening up because we never tend to the wound when 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 you have a sore or a burn. And God knows, I hope I never get burned because I've had to pray for too many people who are tragically burned. And if a scab grows, they have to scrape it off. They scrape it off. And it's painful. It's brutal. Why? Because it's not going to heal from the outside in. It's got to be healed from the inside out. The scab has got to be scraped off. And I think George Floyd represents a scare. Oh, it's peaceful for a time, but it's a scare. And then another black man gets brutally killed. And the scab has got to come off again. The looting has got to start. The protest has got to start. And until we allow this sore, this burn, this pussy, Ness to heal from the inside out. The church will remain broken and the world will remain broken. 
hard to hard truths to face. Hard truths mm-hmm. to face. Yes. Well, um, I think that brings us to the point where we're getting ready to start the panel that you suggested. Okay. Um, some of you have known for a very long time. Some of you have met more recently. Some of you I'm just now meeting, but um, you all hold a special place in my heart, and this conversation is um extremely important. And it's extremely important that everybody knows who's talking. Everybody just kind of interests themselves one at a time. I'm Pastor Charles. Been a part of the church for quite some time now. Um, it was good to see um, someone that I actually grew up in the church with on the call. That's Miss Val. Good to see you. Hadn't seen me in years. Um, Sister Staten has been a mentor to me for the past several years. Um, she actually served as my my first camp director that I ever experienced. Um, so there, there's a lot of connections, there's a lot of history, um, a lot of uh, Pastor Blake, very good friend of mine, um, that I have on this call um, with us. And I'd just like to say to you, Josh, I think this is a very bold and a very brave thing that you guys are doing because um, this conversation is long overdue and it's, it's time to be had. Valerie Morgan Isaiah, grew up uh, in the same uh, small hometown there uh, in South Carolina, uh, was a part of the Church of God of Prophecy um, all of my, uh, practically all of my childhood. Um, however, since that time, and it was during college that I left the Church of God of Prophecy, um, and it was actually because I experienced racism. Um, and I've been a part of Baptist Church, I've been a part of the AME Church, uh, I am currently a part of a those moves are strictly um, geographical moves, um, but they all um, really contributed to my growth and my development and who I am today. Not only as a, a, a Christian, a woman, a woman of God, and a, you know, an active leader in my church, but who I am as a person, who I am as an employee, um, who I am as a mother and a wife. Um, so I, I currently reside in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm CEO of an organization called Autism Charlotte. Um, I am a wife of 25 years, a mother of a handsome 15 year old. And if you follow me on social media, you know that is my heart and that's my life. Um, and I'm very passionate about this particular issue because I do have that, that son. Um, and I'm you know, committed to the conversation. So um, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Um, I have a lot of, like I said, I have a lot of passion around this issue. So uh, my name is Reverend Kino Kennedy, and I am the pastor of Union Bethel Amy Zion Church in Cornelius, North Carolina, also known as the historic Smithfield community. Um, it is an honor and privilege to be on this conversation with you all. I met Josh and TJ just off of a random phone call asking about interviewing someone about the church in the AME Zion Church, and we hit it off ever since then. So I thank them for even inviting me on this panel. Um, it's a pleasure to see you all. My name is Devontae Dixon. Um, I kind of grew up in Kogop with a mix of uh, some Southern Baptist churches as well. Uh, but I hold Kogop near and dear to the heart because, you know, I, that's really where I got to know Jesus. You know, I got a personal relationship with him. Yes. Um, thank you for, uh, I thank my cousin, uh, Charles, for the invite to sit in on this panel tonight. Um, uh, I serve as pastor. Uh, in, uh, excuse me, in Goldston, North Carolina of the Destiny Church of God of Prophecy. And I am, I will say, fourth generation Church of God of Prophecy. I've been in the church a long time and, um, I'm just, uh, the privilege to be here and I'm looking forward to hearing this conversation and praying that 
there will be change. Um, I'm listening to everything everyone else is saying, and I too, you know, have a story. But you know what? Every one of us has a story. But uh, I just appreciate being on this call. I also married 30 years. I celebrated 30 years of marriage on yesterday. Uh, so I thank God for that. I I have four uh, beautiful children, two young men, two young women that reside in uh, Georgia. They're grown, but I thank God. And, you know, this conversation is needed. It's needed because I have a daughter who is a member of the church, which she would make five generations in the Church of God of Prophecy. And we have seen a lot. I've seen a lot in the Church of God of Prophecy uh, when it comes to race and race relationships. So I'm just looking forward to uh, hearing what everyone is going to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Sister Sylvia, we kind of already introduced you here. So, um, mm -hmm. well, I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. How does everyone feel about the Aunt Jemima name change? Now, who's this talking? Yeah. That's this DJ. DJ. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're changing Aunt Jemima's name. Yeah. And well, sir. Did you hear the story behind, like the whole naming and everything? Yes. Yeah. No, not like originally. I, I don't know what we're talking about at all, actually. I know, like, the old logo was really bad. But I, I haven't heard anything since then. You know, I did, I honestly didn't know the whole story about mm -hmm. Aunt Jemima until mm -hmm. today when I read the article. And I'm like, wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty much a slave story where the, um, I'm not sure exactly who the creator was. It's, it's someone that owns Quaker, I believe. But either way, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, he pretty much has a slave that goes around selling his his pancake mix, essentially. Mm -hmm. Just using her as a prop. So, yeah, and she's got the head rag on and the slave clothes on. Right, so he just pretty much used her as a prop and put her face on a product. Huh. Yeah. So, not okay mm -hmm. at all. No. Yeah. Interesting. Awesome. Um, we did want to ask all of you because we don't want to just talk about practical and what's going on in the big world picture. We want to be personal, right? We want to be uncomfortable. Um, and I want to give you guys an opportunity for to share your stories. If any of you have ever faced any form of racism or systematic racism or anything like that, and you guys wanted to talk about it, this would be a great time. We're all we're all ears. Anybody have any stories they wanted to share? One of my stories would be I was on the board for CDL here in South Carolina. And this was possibly in the um, mid-80s. And I traveled to a certain church to teach my class. And, and as you know, South Carolina is predominantly white. I was the only female and I was the only black person on the committee. I drove about three hours to get to this church. My eighth grade son at the time was riding with me and the pastor refused to let me in his church. He refused to let me in. I go back to my vehicle feeling like a whipped pup because every time you think this has died down, it rises again. And, um, so I was trying to smooth it over with my son because I didn't want him to know what 
really happened. And he said, I said to him, you know, they, they probably don't want to have the class because it's a holiday weekend. And my eighth grade son said to me, okay, holiday. They didn't let you in that church because you were black. And I had to hold myself together for three hours to get my son back home. And, you know, I, I, don't, I can't remember now if we talked about it, but I tried to smooth it over because I didn't want him to be against Church of God of Prophecy or people that he would go to the youth camp with, with their children. But that was the reality that day. And in my ministry in South Carolina, I faced many of those kind of days. Some a little worse, some not as bad. But I didn't. I never gave up. I never gave up. I just kept going, kept going. I, I, I think I've coined the phrase: "People will never know the price that you pay to be who you are." And I want to give others an opportunity. Valerie, I need you to speak up. So I have many stories that I could share, some that are my personal stories, um, my brother's stories, my father's stories, my son's mm -hmm. stories, my husband's stories. So there are many that I can share. The one I'm going to choose to share um, is uh, relevant to the Church of God of Prophecy that I grew up in. Um, and of course, I grew up in a, a local church that was predominantly black, but of course, we know the church in general is, is predominantly black. And I attended um, the Agape summer camp every summer um, and had attended for years. And I didn't see very many people that looked like me when I came to camp. Um, in fact, usually the people who looked like me came to camp with me. Um, and so, I remember coming to that camp for years, uh, being in um, the, the minority by um, a huge percentage, um, and never seeing a black camp counselor, a black director, no one in a position of authority or leadership ever looked like me in all the years I had attended this camp. I believe it was my either my sophomore or junior year that I came to camp. And by that time, I was at the point where I really wasn't excited about coming to camp anymore. Um, but I came to camp this particular year, a van full of us, and somebody ran out to the to the van, somebody ran out to the van and said, there's a black counselor in there. And I remember being, I remember us jumping off that van and running into that cabin like someone had told us Jesus was there. Uh, and it was Sylvia who was the counselor. And we ran in that cabin. And I didn't realize how much emotion I had attached to this until I'm telling you this story. We ran into that cabin and we jumped into those beds and grabbed hold our pillows and were, we were just so excited to be there. And then I remember someone coming through and said, uh-uh, y'all don't have to wait. All of y'all can't be in this cabin together. And mind you, I had attended this camp many years before and had always been the only black girl in my cabin. Um, and they said, you all going to have to break up. All, they can't have all of y'all in here together. And I just remember all of us just like holding on to our pillows and holding on our, to our beds saying, we're not going to be the one to leave. We're not going to be the one to leave. Finally, they did get one of us to leave. And, you know, it was like, why was it a problem that all of us were together, 
when every other cabinet, all of the white girls, in every other cabinet, all of the white girls were together. And, um, you know, there were many stories um, that I could tell from my camp experience, but that one in particular, I think, was the first time when I, it was blatant in my face that we were different and that it was a problem if we were all congregated together. We, it's not a question of whether, you know, whether we have ever experienced systematic racism. Uh, it's it's a definite yes for all of us because it's not something that we can control. Um, that's something that's generationally passed down. Um, but I did just want to clarify that systematic racism is something that we all have experienced and we don't have a choice in experiencing. I'm 100% about a couple of these. I'm not sure all the way, but I think, well, I met TJ before me and him or ever attended camp. I was his counselor once. But I think the first time we went to camp, I think Devante also went to camp with us, and Sister Sylvia was the director of camp then, right? Possibly. <laughs> Devante, I met, did I meet you at senior camp? Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Well, but, I was never the director of senior camp. No? I was, I could have been assisting Chucky as director. Um You were my director. The higher I got was um, junior camp that I directed. Yeah, that's uh, several years. Actually, no. Pastor Charles or Jeff White camp. camp too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. Uh, Sylvia's <laughs> Sylvia's been my director. I've worked for Sylvia. I think mm-hmm. I think Devante was my cabin leader once. Nice. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Reverend Kino, you are, I believe you're actually the only one on call who's not a part of the Church of God of Prophecy, but you're actually part of the Amy Zion Church. Has your experience been much different? or? So I haven't experienced any uh, racism within the church because, I mean, most, yeah. <laughs> most we all black. <laughs> so whenever you have a white person to come to church, it looks weird. <laughs> I still yes. might come though. <laughs> oh, you're more than welcome to come. <laughs> um, but no, not in that regard. Yeah. Um, but I have I have experienced uh, uh, some prejudice, and I can tell you a story where my family and I we was I think we was at the Charlotte Premium Outlet, and we was looking for a bag for my wife, and we was at the Kate Spade. Uh, um, um, store and uh, there was some folks that was following us and mm-hmm. I, to me I wasn't paying attention because my mind is alright let me see what the bag is does my wife like it um, mm-hmm. it's going to meet our price point and all this stuff and so when we yeah. left out because my wife says she didn't like anything when she left out she's like you noticed that lady was following us I said yeah I did notice that and um, funny enough my children were too small to pay attention but that was you know that was a little awkward and weird for us um, in that regard um, Pastor Blake was able to he made it with us. Uh, Pastor Blake, we were all just uh, discussing if anybody had any stories where they've faced racism or experienced system, systemic racism and um, just giving everybody a chance to kind of tell their story. You had anything you wanted to share? Um, well, um, I have experienced um, racism on, on a few different occasions, but one in particular that kind of sticks in my mind. Um, I, I won't name the, the church organization um, for particular reasons, but um, 
I didn't grow up with in, in the Church of God of Prophecy organization. I was a, a Baptist and then became non-denominational um, as I got older. And so when I came to the Church of God of Prophecy organization, um, I came to a church in a, a particular uh, church in my hometown. And when I came in, I noticed that there weren't very many, if any, Blacks or African-Americans at all. And um, I went to shake an individual's hand um, that was in the church attending, and he literally rejected my handshake. And so from that, that situation, it let me know that there was still some issues, underlying issues um, there, even at that church that hadn't been addressed. And, uh, and so it kind of made me take a step back, um, and look at the church organization, um, from a different standpoint and became very reluctant, um, to even become a part of that, uh, the church organization. Well, I'm glad you did. It's, uh, it's been an honor knowing Pastor Blake. He's actually been one of my pastors once when I lived in the Somerville area. And he's, uh, he's been a big blessing in my life. Um, I really believe that there are others out there in the church or even outside the church who um, they want to do something. They want to say something, but we're not sure what the right thing to say or do is. Um, would anyone care to address that? Is there a right action or a right thing we can say? Or what, what should we be doing as individuals? I don't necessarily know if there's a right thing for us to do, but I know the wrong thing for us to do is to stay quiet and allow our brothers and sisters to continue to suffer. Um, you know, my, my thing is, I, I just think it's time for the church to acknowledge that we have messed up and we've messed up royally. Mm-hmm. We, we have hurt a lot of people. We have offended a lot of people. Uh, my being one of them, I've just chosen to, to stick with the church. Um, Josh, I remember one, my final year in uh, senior camp as a camper, uh, my little girlfriend for the week, you know, was a little white girl. And uh, there was one night she came out of the dorm crying and I asked her what was wrong. And she says, you know, my cabin leader and someone else just told me that God is not pleased with me being with you. Um, needless to say, as a camper, I never returned to the campground. Um, it's time the church acknowledged. We need to acknowledge the fact that we have said we have hurt people. We have lost good people um, from our organization because of ignorance, because of racial prejudice. Um, we can continue to talk and it's a great thing, um, that we are having a conversation. But, you know, I'm hoping to gain from this or see from this, you know, the system be changed, leadership be changed. If we're willing to take down statues that are offensive to people, we need to be willing to take down leaders that are offensive. Amen. And that'll, uh, that's deep. That's heavy. It's true. Um, I mean, I, um, yeah, I, I asked Sister Sylvia, and I went ahead and said, you know, I'm going to go and kind of and kind of presuppose what some of our listeners or other people who maybe aren't already on board are kind of thinking. And so we want to address both sides. We want to address everything and really speak life to everyone. And we hope to seek understanding, not just for ourselves, but for those who maybe don't have as much understanding even as us. So um, mm-hmm. one thing I've heard, I've actually heard recently on the phone, that it's not an issue of racism, it's an issue of classism. It's the lower class gets treated that way, not necessarily, you know, a certain race. Um, 
if anybody wanted to address that, I saw Valerie had her hand up. I want to go ahead and let her speak if she wanted to say something else. So I originally wanted to address the first question, but now I want to address the second. Do both. Go ahead. Let me say a couple of things to the first because I have to. Um, So, you know, there's this big question of what what do we do, right? So there is the things that have to be done on a a macro level, and then there are things that have to be done on a micro level. And, you know, I believe what I believe we all have to do is really personalize, not what can we do, the bigger society, because that is a part of part of the question. The church, yes, that's a part of the question. But every single person on this call, you have an individual personal responsibility in this. And I think sometimes when we talk about what can we do as a church, as an employer, as a society, it becomes so big that one, to some, it becomes overwhelming to deal with. And to mm-hmm. others, it's just that safe place to do nothing. Because it's so massive that you don't know where to start. It's like having that big project. I don't know if you, if any of you ever watched this, this show, Hoarders, and you see those houses and there's just all this stuff and it's just chaos and it's just, you know, it's just junk. And it's like, well, where do they start? And I think sometimes when we view the problem as that big, it gives us an excuse to do nothing. Um, so one, a couple of things I want to share is one, you have to stop looking for a quick fix. This didn't happen quickly. It's not going to be fixed quickly. Black people are not going to stop. I also need you to stop asking me how to fix it. I didn't do it. I didn't create it. And it's like when a person has lost a loved one or gone through some traumatic experience and everyone calls and everyone says, well, let me know what I can do. Well, I'm the one in pain and I oftentimes don't know what you can do. I don't necessarily know in the moment what I need. And so sometimes the question, um, you know, there are those of us who feel like we need to give a quick response um, because we're the problem solvers. And then there's others who are irritated by the question. Um, while, so while I think the conversation needs to pass to continue, I think that question, you know, being asked to black people, how do we fix it? Um, that's a question that I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear how do, how, how do we fix it. I just want to continue the conversation. Um, and then when asking um, how I experience racism, I like to pose the question back to the majority. How have you perpetrated racism? Because we always ask us our stories. And you know, we heard many of those stories on the call today in terms of you know, how we have been um, the subjects of racism. But we never hear from our white brothers and sisters, how did you perpetrate racism? And sometimes that is conscious and sometimes that is subconscious racism. But we don't hear those stories. We don't hear our counterparts saying, you know what, I remember when I did this and when I said that and when I evaluate that, what I realized is I was uh, perpetrating racism. The other question is, how have you benefited from it? Those are things that we, we don't talk about on an individual level. So what I would say on an individual level is challenge yourself um, to ask, where am I continuing um, to perpetrate racism? Uh, and when I see it happening, am I questioning it? Am I challenging it? Am I challenging my family members, my loved ones? Do I challenge it on my job? Let's give voice to it. Let's give voice to it outside of these conversations and begin to give voice to it in all of those other places that we walk. Rather, again, whether it's in the church, whether it's on the job, if I'm in a, in, a, in a leadership meeting at church, 
and I see racism raising its ugly head, do I stand up in that meeting and say, no, this is not right. This is an example of racism being continuing to exist here. So that's, those are things that I think can be done on a micro level while we continue these conversations about investment on a macro level. And now in saying all of that, I forgot your second question. Um, I was talking about those who like to try and say that it's not necessarily a race issue, but a class issue. The lower class people are the ones who face police brutality, not necessarily a specific race. So I think that that's the way we uh, we, we tend to um, smooth over the issue. Yes, there are clearly class issues in this country. There's no doubt about it. Um, however, there is still clearly a race issue. And if you're black in a low socioeconomic status, it is a double, triple, and if you're male, it's a triple-edged sword. Yes. So, yes, there's clearly a class issue, but there is no de denying, even before a class issue, there's a race issue. Because even if you never know where I fall on the, so on the social economic uh, spectrum in this country, you clearly know I'm black. Yeah, and uh, I, I get kind of address my own question for those people. I actually read an article earlier today by David French. He's a very conservative reporter who um, he adopted a young African-American lady, or I think she was just African, I think she was Ethiopian. But he um, he was talking about how, you know, he had two of his own biological children first, and then he had her, and the experience was wildly different for her, and how that changed his views on racism. And, you know, that I think that speaks to that question. You know, obviously, of his three daughters, two of them didn't have a different class than the third one, right? Like... So I think that's that kind of speaks to that issue as well. Um, while we're debunking things, I know this one's been kind of beat over the head. Uh, does anyone want to address the All Lives Matter thing? People would like to respond to the Black Lives Matter with that. Of course, all lives matter. Absolutely, no one's saying they don't. But that that's not the issue right now. Like if a loved one came up to you, like someone you knew, and said their father died. You, you probably wouldn't say, well, everyone's father dies. That's not what you do. That, that's not the kind of issue we're facing. It's like, yes, all lives matter. All lives can't matter until black lives matter. I, you know, October we celebrate, uh, we give recognition to breast cancer awareness. And you never hear anybody say, well, what about pancreatic cancer? What about lung cancer? That's important, too. Nobody says that, but it is that statement is only made when it comes to Black Lives Matter. And, and I agree with my pastor friend that all lives can't matter until Black Lives Matter. Could you imagine if your house was on fire? And you called 911 and the operator said, so what? My house has been on fire before. That doesn't help me right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and that this would be the last me pre presuppositioning what other people say. Um, I also heard someone actually recently tell me part of why they can't support the Black Lives Matter, hashtag Black Lives Matter, any of that is because they said it's come from the same people who started the Black Panthers. So, so let's, let's deal with one issue. And that is the Black Panthers 
were really focused on empowering and helping those in the community. Uh, one of the things that they did was they helped with food, they helped with after school care, and a lot of things that, that they took are now a part of the staple of what happens in, in the rest of the country. So there's like um, um, WIC came out of the Black Panther movement, um, after school care, those other things. And so for anybody to say, well, I can't support it because it's part of the Black Panther, but in actuality, you can't support it because it makes you feel uncomfortable that the issue is being raised about race and colorism. And so my challenge to anybody, especially who's who's a believer, Jesus said that you will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And if you love me, then you should be concerned about my well-being and my my children's well-being. And the reality is that society as a whole is not concerned about African-Americans well-being because it doesn't matter until it becomes until it uh, transitions to the other side of the track. And so what you're seeing now is folks are feeling uncomfortable with something that's being portrayed that's been going on for, for black for black people for since since we've been a part of this country. You know, it's it's sad, but but uh, police have been killing black men forever. Um, we've been lynched. We've been brutalized. We've been we've been demoralized. That this is nothing new for us. It's just now it's being filmed, like Will Will Smith said. And so what you're seeing is something that we've known growing up since generations. We've been we heard stories. We always we always have experiences, some way, shape, form, or fashion. So to say that the black Lives Matter is like the Black Panthers is is what's really what's really saying is that you don't care because for what you heard about the Black Panthers. Yes, they had guns. Yes, but they were trying to protect their own their own people. They were trying to protect their own people from the police because the police was coming in killing killing their own people, killing black people, and so they decided to take it upon themselves to protect protect because those who we said to protect and serve were not protecting and serving us. And so they decided to take it upon themselves. And this whole thing about Black Lives Matter is we're trying to make the issue known to the world that our voice is being squashed by people ignoring the value of who we are as human beings. We've been asking since the beginning of this country to treat us as human beings when in actuality we would never consider human beings from the get-go. So. Yeah. Mr. Ralph Smith, I think that hit the nail on the head. I, I wanted to get to the church stuff. A lot of people feel like the church has been too silent, and, and I think that's sort of what we're getting from all of you. And would, would you guys agree that the church has been too silent on the issues of Black Lives Matter? Definitely. What do you think the church should be saying? As, you know, the bigger picture, I know Valerie asked, we don't ask individually what that is, right? An uh, individual, the best action I could do is to turn to myself, ask myself is what she said. I think I liked that and kind of see if I've been a part and kind of evaluate myself and deal with me. But uh, on a bigger picture, what can the church do? What can the church be saying? I like what Valerie said when she was get, talking about her experience. And Valerie brought up the fact that for years she went to camp and no person of color was in a decision-making position. No person of color. So the songs that were sung were, were not our songs, but we sang them. The activities that they had were not our activities. 
and a lot of us weren't even a part of the activities. Um, a lot of things they did at camp. It was nothing was geared toward black people. Things that the church needs to do is look at the staff, look at the people that's making decisions and say, are we fully representing the people that we minister to? Are we fully representing? Um, we need people of color in decision-making yeah. positions. That's what I think the church needs to take a long, hard look at it. Actually, one last question for the panel, and then uh, we'll finish this up with Sister Sylvia. If God himself was speaking to you and he said, hey, I'm going to make it happen, this one thing, the church will do this one thing to impact this movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, what would you have the one thing the church could do? What would you have it be? In my other life as a um prevention specialist. Before we could put forth any program, after we came up with an idea, we had to have a focus group representing the people that were going to receive the service that we were going to offer. Um, I had one person, and I'm old, so I'm going to say this, why give me, um, why give me a churn if I already have sweet milk? I don't need a cow. I got sweet milk. That's what they used to call it. But anyway, so we would pull together a focus group and we would ask the same kind of questions possibly that you're asking. How can we serve you better? So what do I feel the church could do? I think the simplest, the easiest thing is call together a focus group. And it may be several. Because the opinions in the South are going to be different from the opinions in the North, South, East, or West. Come together. Let's have a conversation. Josh, the, the church needs to become intentional about everything that they do moving forward um, to diversify the leadership. It would be great to be able to look in, in the leadership office and see someone there who's representing me, who looks like me. Uh, it's, it's just kind of hard to sell truth and holiness and, and not to say that these men and women are not, um, I'm not questioning their walk with the Lord, but if you're asking me if there's something that I could whisper into their ear, uh, they need to become intentional, you know, mm -hmm. having purpose. You know, granddaddy can't leave the church to, they, uh, to the son anymore. The son can't leave the church to the grandson anymore. Um, and we've seen this handed down throughout churches. So if, if you are if you the church is serious about correcting this or helping to initiate change, um, then be intentional. You know, do it. Do it for a reason. Um, create opportunities for others um, to to lead from a, diff a different perspective and a different angle. Um, we we can learn something. From that. It's good word. It's good word. And that's um, something we've said before. You know, not necessarily. Just about leadership, but you know, about the individual church. We've said, you know, if you're in a community that's 20% African American, your church should have that, right? Your church should reflect the community. And that's, um, I think the same thing is true of the leadership. That's, that's a good word. The church needs to respond to God's call 
and being more concerned about God's people. And not just saying it in, in just, I'll pray for you. But no, let's be the hands and feet of Jesus and do something about it. And so another one of the things that the church can do is to help um, help our brothers and sisters who have who live in food deserts. Let's push to have some um, some healthy options for them to have or or for schools. That, there's so much that the church could do as a whole, but she chooses not to because the people in it is comfortable to sit in the pew. Those individuals who are listening, if you really want to do something, then engage your community, engage your political, um, your political leaders and saying this is this is not good. Something Mm -hmm. has to change. And so the change has to come from us by speaking up and saying, no, no longer will it. We we as believers of Christ will stand for the injustice that that happened to the people of color. Yeah, that's just that's a good word. It's um. So, something said reminded me of something. They, um, you said, you know, the church needs to go out to those who are in need, who are hurting. And uh, I'm sure we've all seen the whole uh, Black Lives Matter memes where it's Jesus leaving the 99 for the one, right? So these are, this is the one in need. I want to go. I heard someone say, uh, since when did the story say that Jesus verified that that one sheep was really in need? You know, so many people are, okay, but is this really a problem? Why does that matter? When, when in that story did Jesus say, does that sheep really need help? He just went. I think what I would want the church or I I would assume the church would change is not only be intentional about what they're doing, but also make sure that that they're addressing a moral issue. We're just asking for the bare minimum, like the what everybody else is getting. We're not asking for anything specific. So I think it's important that we look at the moral issue and challenge our community in general to check within ourselves because I'm sure like on an individual level, we have things that we can work on individually to help this on a macro level. So bringing awareness, like um, Father was mentioning earlier, there's so many different things that the church can do, but just challenging ourselves morally, like is, are we allowing something immoral to happen what are our standards where where do we stand if the public has to ask where the church stands on topics like this we have a bigger issue change moves at the rate of relationships you know if we're building these relationships and we're doing something as far as a personal individual level in your relationships that's where you'll see change um and i think that's that speaks a lot to this situation as well um just just kind of recap so far we've on individual levels, what we should be doing is kind of reflecting on ourselves, asking how we are impacting systematic racism, or have we been furthering it, or are we anti-racist? Um, we've talked about how Sister Sylvia suggested having sort of a, um, what do you see, said like a, a panel, or for ideas run through the church that everyone's represented. And uh, Pastor Charles mentioned having more diverse leadership. These are all really good ideas. Um, I just want to say, just be aware of the history of our country, just so we, so everybody has a better understanding of what Black people feel. Just have a better, have a good understanding of what we're referring to. So look up the things that our government has done to Black African Americans. So just be aware of what's going on.
Pastor Sylvia stated something. Well, we made a reference. Someone made a reference to Pastor Sylvia. If she was the general overseer or uh, the, uh, general see what would happen. And people said there'll be uh, a mass exodus and there'll be a lot of things going on. But I believe that if we're, as uh, Pastor Staten uh, said, the focus group, if this can be done through our leadership and really bring people to the table, what our leadership is going to have to brace themselves for is a exodus. Because there will be an exodus. Because no matter how you cut it, how you look at it, some people will never, never accept uh, what we're, you are, we're trying to do. And never accept change. So we got to prepare ourselves for a mass ex for an exodus. Because I mean, when you bring people to the table and you really, you know, today this was a good conversation. But if you really want the uh, uh, conversation that the conversation can get real ugly, and not not of being combative, but if people really want to know the truth, the truth hurts. And a lot of people don't like truth. So I'll say to our leadership, be prepared for folk to leave the church if you have this kind of conversation. It's true. Jesus said, uh, oh, he said, uh, I came to bring the sword. Sometimes yes. that's what the truth does. Yeah. It's not um, have we uh, contributed to the problem because we all have. Exactly. Is how have we, even as a black woman, even as black people, we contribute to our mm -hmm. own um, victimization because we, when something is ingrained, or anyone who knows anything about abuse, once I had you under my control, I no longer have to perpetrate abuse. You are going to be under my control, whether I'm present or not. Absolutely. We have been, this has been so ingrained in the black community that we've helped to maintain the status quo ourselves. And so, you know, I have even begun to challenge some of my own thinking and some of the ways that I do things. I'll give you an example. It's my hair. I have not worn my hair like this ever in my life. So this is my natural, my natural hair. And before this call today, and if I straighten my hair, this is below, comes below my shoulder. And one of the things that I generally do, being the CEO of an organization, if I'm going into a meeting with execs or, you know, folks who are high up that chain on in terms of social economic status, I straighten my hair before I go to that meeting. And I thought about straightening, straightening my hair before getting on this call today. And I realized what I was doing was conforming. And trying to be exactly who the system. Yes. Yes. Question for white folks to say: How have yes perpetrated, but black to say: How have I helped to sustain racism in this country? We have adapted behaviors. We have reformed. We have said white schools are the best schools. We have said, you know, you got to get your child in this place or that place. And we have made those determinations based on how black or how white they were, how rich or how poor they, the, the, the institution was. So this is not, when I say that we have to ask ourselves these questions, these questions is not just for white folks, 
It's for black folks as well. And in our everyday life, we have to challenge what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. If there was one thing that uh, I would add to everything that's been, you know, that's been said is the fact that uh, the church needs to start with acceptance. Um, you know, accepting the fact that there is an issue that we will do and always have had some problems and issues and that we need to, you know, receive that and then begin to look inwardly and address them as such. But it starts with acceptance and accepting the fact that, yes, there is an issue and yes, we do have a problem. Josh, I, I would add, I think the conversation that's being had tonight is great, um, but there's a common denominator with a lot of the participants for deception of two. Um, that's the fact that we all look alike. The prop, we don't have a problem with each other. We have a problem with the system. Um, I think moving forward, conversations um, need to be had. They, they have to be had. But at the same time, everyone needs to have a seat at the table. Those who are who are offending or who have been offended, um, we, we need to see each other. We need to hear each other and understand, you know, why are we feeling this way towards one another? Um, it's, it's great that we are having this conversation. But again, if we if we are talking about change, then the deep conversation, the difficult conversation must be had. Um, I think if it's only by way of suggestion, not mandate, Josh, uh, I think this guy's are doing a great um, but if, if we're talking about changing systems, changing attitudes and behavior, then there, there needs to be someone sitting across from me who does not look like me. I need to hear from him or her, and they need to hear from me. Um, I really hope this was sort of the baby step, right? Like the first step of, uh, you, you know, like they have that joke, you know, I got a plan to plan. Well, this is like the first mm -hmm. step to take a step, right? Because this is um, the conversation that needed to be had is that we need to have conversations mm -hmm. and um, hopefully this will help other people open up and be willing to do that and we can see more men of action more diversity in these conversations and change to be had and, um, that's really our hope with this Th thank you all so much for joining us um it was great to meet those of you i haven't met before and uh, those of you i've known for a while it's just good to see your faces again and um, i appreciate all of you so much Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. So, Sister Sylvia, one last question for you before we, we kind of do a little bit of stuff for the outro. You know, we ask uh, for God moment and all that. But uh, before, we, we wanted to also ask you, uh, you've talked to me on the phone before about, you know, basically things we shouldn't say, things that some people might not be aware of that aren't, you know, good things to say. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. trying to think of something you said. Um, I know you told me to to not say colored. I was like, okay, I actually didn't know that. I thought people of color was kind of the preferred term, and I learned that that's not the case. Um, are there any other phrases that you know people should avoid, basically? Okay, um, I've got about seven. Perfect. About seven. Okay. Let's hear them. Okay, number one, um, and I think we discussed this. Don't come to us saying. All lives matter. We've discussed that. We're not, we're, yes, we're, everybody's life matters, but at this juncture, we want black lives to matter. Um, number two, you are different than the others. Um, we've heard black, I've heard white people say that to me. 
you're different than the others. Mm. Meaning, and you're either trying to divide me from my people or think I am so gullible that I'm putty in your hands. Three, I'm scared, I'm scared to get pulled over too. Um, mm. It's different with white people getting pulled over than us. Um, uh, number four, I have, and I, I kind of sent out a survey to some good friends of mine, and they <laughs> responded with this statement. Um, we are all discriminated against. Um, we know that's not true. Number five, I'm tired of apologizing for being white. We, we don't want an apology. It's okay. You can no longer apologize any more apologize for being white than I can apologize for being black. I was raised in a predominantly black family um, most of my growing up. <laughs> so we can't, we don't need an apology. Um, we don't like it when uh, white men call black women gals. Come here, gal. That gal over there. Um, number seven, I Wait, have black. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, have, I just have a quick, quick question because you know I, I hear people from stage do this where they're like, "All right, guys and gals, does that does that bother anybody?" Um. Well, gals to me makes me think of um, doing slavery. Uh, and, sure they just say guys and girls, just better. Well, men, women. Yeah. Okay. Men, women. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Number seven is I have black friends too. And if you have to count your black friends, I thought about this. You might be a racist if. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> if you have to, if you have a number of black friends, I have black friends too. You know, if you have to make that statement. And yeah. my last one is. Oh, this is just a statement. Um, as we talk about having the conversation, uh, most white people deny the fact that there is a problem. Um, I ran into someone today that wanted to say, you know, we've always gotten along. And I bought out to them, yeah, but you had black section, white section, black bathroom, white bathroom, um, you know, water fountains were black and white. And I and I came up with the, I didn't develop the statement, but here's a statement. Uh, people love what you do as long as you do what you love. Hmm. As long as you do what they love, they love you. And I think we've been silent too long. And I, uh, I, I just want to throw out there for, you know, everybody we don't we didn't have time to talk about it today, but there there are a lot of arguments and things that are said hurtful one way or the other that maybe aren't necessarily racist, but they're not anti-racist. And on the other side, there's a, there's a lot of confusion with terms. These terms come mm-hmm. out like, um, uh, j- just for example, I'm not saying that we agree or disagree with any of these, you know, just stuff like uh, when people say white privilege or when people say Black Lives Matter or when people say um, systemic racism. A lot of people, you know, they, they look at what that seems to mean to them, faith value, and they don't actually look up the term. They don't actually know what those phrases mean. 
Now, we don't have time to talk about it today, but I, I do. I want to recommend to everybody that you look up some of these before you make any arguments about it and see what those terms are actually supposed to mean. And then if you have arguments, have the argument, but make sure you know what you're talking about first, right? Exactly. Uh, so, Sister Sylvia, uh, would saying, because uh, I've heard a lot of people say the friends thing, uh, but I've heard a lot of people say, well, my best friend is black. Mm-hmm. Is is that the same as counting your friends, or is that different? Well, I think just the fact that you have to clarify, hmm. uh, uh, and are you justifying, mm-hmm. and and what is the motive behind the statement that you're making? Right. You know. Yeah. So we gonna have to be more intentional about what we say. It may even mean we'll have to think. Uh, thank it you. may That's mean right. we have to care. Mm. Yeah. It may mean we have to love. Mm-hmm. If you ask me today, which one of your sons do you love the most? And my answer to that is always the one I'm talking mm. Well, which one of your penguins do you love the most? The one I'm talking to is the one that I love the most. And when I finish talking to him and start talking to another one, I love him the most. Right. Uh, So, uh, thank you so much. (laughs) Uh, So, you've done this before. You know we like to end this with our God moment. Uh, This is no exception. Mm -hmm. We will be doing a God moment of the week or you know, however long. Uh, Josh, would you like to go first? Yeah, yeah. God's, uh, God's been doing a lot with me recently. It's great. I, I love when God's working with me, especially when I don't know what he's working on. It's just, it's exciting. But um, last week, I was doing dishes, and uh, the manager, well, one of the managers was doing dishes with me at work, and looked at me and asked, because, you know, she was playing her music, and it's like, oh, do I need... I, I don't need to skip this, do I? It was, um, I forget which song it is. Uh, I think it was Waymaker. The, uh, it was a Christian song. And she realized, oh, it's you. I don't have to skip Jesus songs. And I was like, oh, no, please don't skip it, actually. And, uh, we were just back there kind of worshiping, doing dishes in the store. I, I don't really know that manager outside of work at all. And it was just a, it was a really cool worship moment. And then, um, I'm still doing more at my work, but even even today I had a, a different coworker for whatever reason started asking me about the Bible and we talked about Colossians my entire shift. And I don't think I've ever talked about the book of Colossians that much, but you know, <laughs> I don't think I've ever talked about the book of Colossians. Period. Well, yeah, there's know. always a day to start. Uh, call me after that. <laughs> no, I will not. That's a good one. I'll go next. Uh, and if you will allow it, I'm going to count this podcast. Uh, a lot of my, most of my friends are my age. Mm-hmm. You know, their point of view is not that different from mine. Uh, so I don't get a lot of, you know, conflicting points of view. Uh, this episode has been really, really nice. Because uh, seeing people from all walks of life mm-hmm. through throughout the past you know, many years, not just when I've been alive, uh, it has been really refreshing 
to hear what they have to say. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's right. Hey, Sister Sylvia, is, um, would you like to share anything God's been doing with you recently? Well, the Lord has blessed me tremendously. Um, I've, I've moved in the past two, three months, and I've moved in a neighborhood where um, my neighbors don't necessarily look like me. Mm-hmm. Um, my neighbor on my right knew of me before I came in. He knew I was a black woman. He knew I was a preacher. He told me what I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I moved in, he decided he was going to build a fence. Uh-huh. I think he's been here about 15 years. So, but he just all of a sudden decides he wants to build a fence. And, um, one of my things for the year is I refuse to be offended. So he has a, a fence that I can't look over, which that could be almost any size fence if you really know who I am. <laughs> um, my neighbor on the left has a fence. So God has blessed me now that I don't have to build a fence. You don't. <laughs> because my neighbors have blessed me. <laughs> with their fences and the woods I have woods in the back of my house and so there's no need to have a fence there so yeah. God God will bless me in the midst of chaos um, and I'm going to pick up every rock that's uh-huh. thrown at me and use it as a stepping stone uh-huh. that's how God has blessed me alright that's that's some kind of blessing. That's great. <laughs> we have um one more one more segment for you just for our patrons. Right after we do this outro, we're gonna ask if you can summarize this whole podcast in ten seconds. But first, can you you wrap us up, please? All right. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Yeah, if you've made it this far, congratulations. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it, and please consider supporting us on Patreon uh, for as little as a dollar a month. You'll be able to hear what. Sister Sylvia is about to say for us. Uh, you also get access to a bunch of other content that we produce and put on there. Satisfaction of helping us. We need help. Right. Uh, again, please follow us on our social medias uh, at the whole church. The whole church. Uh, if you have any feedback, you can let us know on there. You can email us at the whole church at gmail dot com. Uh, again, some future guests coming up too. Yeah. Right. Um, let's see, I, I know uh, Reverend Kino is actually going to be back for our 50th episode. We got a big celebration plan there. I'm really excited to have him back. Um, we'll grab a few others. Uh, the actual um, the General Presbyterian, Tim Coulter, is going to be a part of that episode. I'm really excited for him. Um, Father Jonathan, the Greek Orthodox Church here in Charlotte, is going to talk to us about their beliefs in Genesis 3 and sins. We're going to kind of see what they see and whether or not unity can be had can't wait to you know ask that question and see where it goes <laughs> we got a a lot a lot of really special guests coming up but of course uh into season one dj right uh at the end of season one we will of course have francis chan yeah he just doesn't know it yet oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening keep listening if you want to hear the 10 second segment that's starting yeah.